chapter 2 beginning with verse 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus pay attention to the fact that from this point on the subject under consideration is Jesus Christ all of the him he who that follows is referring to Jesus Christ it says who verse 6 being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross now here's where we really want to pay attention verse 9 wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee every knee bow mm. of things in heaven and things <clears throat> excuse me of things in heaven of things in earth and things under the earth mm. and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father the scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord my story begins in the city of Oxford about 55 or so miles from here maybe a bit more anybody here ever been to Oxford some hands going up I was born in the city of Oxford in a non-Christian, non-religious family. I grew up never going to church, never reading the Bible. When I was the age of some of these young ones in here tonight, I never would have even dreamt of going to church. Nobody in my family was a, was a Christian, nobody prayed. And so my upbringing was very much humanistic, atheist and secular. I remember when I was, uh, when I was the age of some of these ones down here at the front, every year at Christmas time, they used to take us one afternoon in school, just one or two days before we broke up before the Christmas break. They would take us out of school in the afternoon and we'd walk next door into a small church and they would make us sing Christmas carols. For me, that was the worst day of the school year. I hated that day. Christmas Carol Day was for me the worst day on the school calendar. It was so wretched that when it was one of those days that when lunchtime came, you got that feeling in your tummy. You know, oh, it's Christmas carols this afternoon. And we would go next door into that church and we'd have to sing Christmas carols for about two hours. And it felt like it was about two days that we were stuck in that building and children were misbehaving they were fidgeting they were climbing the wall and as soon as it was over we ran for the door as if the building was on fire desperate to get out of there that was my opinion of church in those days but by the time i was a teenager by the time i was 14 15 16 years old i started to become aware of an become aware of an emptiness on the inside of me a feeling on the inside of me that something was missing, but I didn't know what that something was. There was a feeling that there had to be something more out there in the world, but I didn't know what it was or how to get my hands on it. I knew that whatever it was that was missing was important. Something that should have been there was not there, but I had no idea where to search for this thing and how to put my hands on it. When I was about 15, I had a dream that I died and went to hell. I dreamt that I was standing outside of my house with all my family and all my friends. And everyone was having a good time. Everyone was happy. Everyone was glad to be there. But I noticed out of the corner of my eye that these storm clouds 
were gathering up in the sky over our heads and moving over us. And nobody else noticed the storm clouds. Nobody else heard the thunder when it sounded, except for me. And I began to feel nervous, apprehensive. This feeling came over me that something bad was about to happen. And before I knew it, suddenly a bolt of lightning came down and struck me square on the head. It was just a dream, but I tell you, church, I felt electricity go right through my body, down to the tips of my toes and to the ends of my fingers. I felt that electricity as it went into my body and knocked me off my feet. And I was laying there on the ground and everybody came running over, looking down at me as I was looking up at them and I was paralyzed. I couldn't move my arms and legs. I couldn't blink my eyes. I couldn't make a sound from my throat. And I laid there staring up at them, staring down at me. And they were weeping and they were crying and they were saying, he's dead, he's dead. And I thought to myself, I can't be dead. Because when you die, surely that's like when you go to sleep at night, except forever and ever. Yet I'm still aware of them, so how can I be dead? Somebody once told me a long time ago that it's impossible to die in your dream. Because if you die in your dream, they said, you will die in real life. And it seemed to be true when they told it to me. Because isn't it true that when you have a nightmare and someone does something to you in the nightmare and you die in the nightmare, don't you always wake up at the point of death? Isn't that true? When you're falling from a great height, it's always at the moment of impact that you wake up in your bed. When the knife goes in or the gun goes off, that's when you wake up in your bed. But in my dream, I was lying on the concrete outside of my house and they were saying, he's dead, he's dead. And I was looking up at the sky beyond them and those storm clouds opened up and I saw the most beautiful blue that you could ever imagine in your life. And I knew I was looking not simply at the sky, but I was looking right into heaven itself. Heaven so beautiful, so wonderful. I wanted to reach out to it. I wanted to go there, but it was so far away. And then everything all of a sudden vanished in a moment. The people, the house, the road I was lying on, everything disappeared and I found myself in a new place, completely black, laying on nothing, suspended in the air. And right in front of my eyes was a wall, a cloud of red, dark fire moving towards me. It was coming right at me. The sound of that fire was horrendous. It was louder than the loudest thunder you've ever heard. I knew in that moment I was dead. I knew in that moment I was in hell. And I couldn't blame anybody else for being there. I knew that it was my fault. And I knew I would never get out of that place and just as that fire was about to overwhelm me just as that fire was about to wash over me I woke up in my bed usually after a bad dream I would just roll over and go right back to sleep but not this night I lay there tears in my eyes still hearing the sound of that fire in my ears I believe that God gave me that dream you said God gave you a dream about going to hell. I believe that God gave me that dream. I believe that that was the first time in my life that God tapped me on the shoulder and as it were said, son, you need to pay attention because this stuff is real. You need to pay attention because this is real. Life is not a gamble. Life is not a joke. There is only one life here on this earth and son, you've got to get it right before it ends. You have to make the right choice before it's over. I wish I could say that having that dream made me go running to church. 
That would be a wonderful testimony if I could say that I had that dream and I bought myself a Bible and went to church. But that's not what happened. As I got older, the feeling of that emptiness on the inside of me just grew and grew. Until the only way that I, can, I could deaden that feeling on the inside of me was by nightclubs and drinking uh, alcohol and drunkenness and what they call recreational drugs, marijuana and other things to make that feeling of the emptiness, the feeling of the deadness on the inside of me be quiet. I thought for a long time I had buried it and made it go away forever with the nightclubs and all those other things I was doing. But by the time I turned 20 years of age, the feeling of the emptiness came up again. It was so strong that even nightclubs and alcohol and promiscuity and drugs were not enough to make that feeling go away, that something in my life was missing. Something was missing. And a few weeks after my 20th birthday, I sat in my front garden on a summer's night quite like this one. And I looked up at the sky as the first stars came out. And I could hardly believe that the words were coming out of my mouth. But I said, God, I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know if there is a God. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. But if there is a God and you can hear me and you care about me even just a little bit, I said, please help me change my life because I can't live like this anymore. There may be somebody in this place tonight and you're thinking exactly the same thing. I can't live like this anymore. And you may not even be sure that God exists. You may not even be convinced that there is a God. Let me encourage you tonight to make that first step as I did. Even to say with your mouth, God, if you're there, if you're there, please help me change my life. After that night, a process of, I guess, about a year and a half of studying different religion, different spirituality, different ideas about God took place in my life. I would spend a long time in the bookshop looking at different books about God as that question grew on the inside of me. Is there a God? And if there is a God, who is he? And the more I studied the more I became convinced that there was a God. But I didn't know which one. I knew that I couldn't just pick whichever religion I wanted and just be that. I knew that there had to be something that was true about God. And it was just a question of finding out what that truth was. But with all the things that I read, all the books and different religions I looked at, nothing really seemed to scratch the itch that I had on the inside of me. At the same time, where I worked in Oxford, in uh, the kitchen of one of the colleges that makes up Oxford University, a young woman came to work. And uh, I noticed her when she came in for her job interview. Uh, I noticed because she was an attractive young woman. And I was a red-blooded young man. And uh, she never saw me that day. But the moment she walked in, my eyes scanned her across the room and I thought to myself well I know how easy it is to get jobs 
in this college because I, I could tell when she walked in, young woman, I'd seen so many young people come in to get a job. I knew she had come in to get uh, some kind of waitressing job there in the kitchen and they, they handed those things out very easily. So I knew that she was, uh, she was going to end up working in that place and sure enough, the next week on Monday morning, she came in for her sh first shift. So I thought, let me go and introduce myself. And I just kind of skidded up to her and said, hey, how you doing? And my intentions were less than honorable. But something about this young woman put up a big sign that said, no further. That young woman was a Christian. And she was the first Christian person, genuine Christian person I'd ever met. She was an anomaly to me. She was a Christian, but she may as well just have been an alien because she was so different to any person I'd ever met in her life. This young lady's name was Debbie Kwanga. She was originally from Kenya, but had been living in Oxford for a few years, about five years at that point. And she was unlike anybody I'd ever met. First thing, she never, ever swore. I noticed that about her. She never swore. Everybody in my peer group used foul language. In those days, I swore with every other word out of my mouth. Every other word out of my mouth was an F and a B. I tell people that I said the name Jesus Christ as much before I was a Christian as I do now that I am a Christian. I just said the name in a different way. I cursed Jesus' name, blasphemed his name. I took it in vain. But Debbie never swore and I thought that was kind of odd. But as odd as I thought that was, the thing that really got me was when she said that she had never, ever been drunk. That was like telling me that she wasn't actually breathing in and out. <laughs> because in those days, I was 19 and she was 18. And yet she had said, I had never been drunk. And I thought, well, everybody has been drunk at some point in their life. I thought those were the, the three things that every person in the world has in common. Birth, death, and somewhere in the middle, an experience of being drunk. But she had never, ever been drunk. So I said to her, and I actually said this, I said, okay, I am going to make it my mission, Debbie, to get you drunk. I am going to take you out. I'm going to take you clubbing. I am going to get you so drunk, you're not going to know what's hit you. And she just smiled and laughed at me. And I didn't hear what she was thinking on the inside as she said to herself, Pete, I'm going to get you saved. I'm going to get you to church. I'm going to get you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And look where we are tonight. So I think we know who won that one. Even though I knew that my, um, my amorous, hot-blooded movements towards Debbie were not going to work, 
the two of us became very good friends. Debbie is the oldest of four girls. And the two middle sisters came to work in the same place shortly after Debbie. The youngest, Esther, was still in school at the time. <coughs> and with three of the four of them working there, I got to know them all very, very well. They were all Christians, all serving God, all in love with Jesus. All equally weird in my mind, but lovely. <clears throat> and then I remember the day that Debbie came in and she said to me at work, she said, my mum is outside and she wants to meet you. I thought, oh no. So I went outside into the car park and there was the car with this rather straight back, serious looking Kenyan lady in the car. And I was thinking, I hope they don't talk about Jesus. I hope she doesn't mention God. And I was sure that I was gonna have to duck as a copy of the Bible came flying my way. But it was a wonderful introduction. She invited me to their house because you see, they had just moved house. The house where they used to live when I first met them was about two, two and a half, maybe even more miles away from me. The house where they had just moved to at that point was a house five minutes from my front door to their front door, walking, not driving, five minutes walking from my front door to their front door. In the Bible, God has a name, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yira, the Lord who has seen ahead and already made provision. Mm. God has already seen ahead and put things in place beforehand. Debbie and her family moving house to the house that they lived in just five minutes from my own house. I know that this was God. This was the hand of the Lord because there was coming a night about one year ahead of that day that I met her family. A day when I was going to need them more than I'd ever needed anyone in my life. But I started spending a lot of time at their house. I loved, I loved being at their house. They made me so welcome. I ate the food out of their fridge. I watched their TV. I did everything in their house except sleep. That was the only thing I did in my own house. But I was always at their house. It was like, you know, you know those shows on TV? The sitcoms on TV, there's, there's like the main family that's the focus of the show and there's always that friend who comes in from the outside. That was me. I was always at Debbie's house, always at their place. And I loved it there. But I thought it was kind of weird that they had Bible verses framed on the wall. I thought that was a little bit odd. And sometimes, and I never knew when, I would walk into the house and instead of saying hello, like most normal people, Debbie's mom would say something like, hello Pete, how is Jesus been keeping you recently? I didn't know what to say. I would just look around and go, uh, very well, thank you. Didn't know what to say. I remember one time, oh, I remember one time I took a cousin of mine to their house. His name is James. And uh, on the day that we were sat in their living room and watching the TV, I remember the news was on and there had been 
uh, a suicide bomb that had gone off in Israel and they were they were doing the report uh, on the TV and we were watching this horrific scene from Israel and the only person who spoke up was Debbie's mum who said well we must pray these are the last days Jesus is coming again soon and we must pray I looked at my cousin and I thought what strange words are these crazy words Jesus coming last days what are you talking about and I remember when I left with James I said those guys are wonderful but that Christianity is weird because you see even though I was interested in finding out more about God there was something about Christianity I just seemed to be allergic to I kept it at arm's length there was there was something about Jesus and the disciples in the in the desert with long robes and sandals long ago and far away I just thought what was this all about and what relevance does it have for my life but Debbie was the only person that I could talk to about my emptiness on the inside of me you see I didn't talk to anyone else because first of all I'm a man and men don't talk to other men on that kind of a level when men get around their friends and talk typically it's it's a, it's just surface level conversation generalities about sport and and other things that but nothing on a deep level I could I felt like I couldn't go to any one of my friends and say you know what I've got this feeling on the inside of me and I don't know what to do about it so the only person I knew I could talk to was Debbie and I started to go to her more and more at work and asking her questions about God and asking her questions about religion and she told me about Jesus now she never began one of these conversations ever she never came to me and brought the subject up it was always me going to her always me going to her you know sometimes Christian people get labeled with all kinds of names like Bible basher and Bible thumper but you know oftentimes you don't need to say anything just be a Christian just be a Christian with your actions with your attitude just be a Christian and you'll be surprised at how people are gravitating towards you because of that with questions because of that so Debbie told me about Jesus and they, she and her family invited me to church but I never accepted because I was stubborn and I was proud and I wanted to do things my own way and Debbie gave me a few books to read on the subject of Christianity and I read a few pages but I thought this doesn't really seem like it's helping me I'm gonna go and buy my own book so I gave Debbie her books back and on Friday the 6th of December 2002 I was standing in the religion section of Oxford's Borders bookshop looking for a book that could help me understand the truth about God and I was browsing the shelves looking at the various books that were there and when I looked to my right hand side I noticed the table with a bunch of books that were on display all the same book and the front cover of this book was bright blue and my favorite color is blue I can see that hair my sister I'm, I'm loving it blue blue is my favorite color so when I saw this blue front cover I said oh glory okay let me go and have a look at this I didn't care what it was I, it was blue so I was magnetized to it and I uh, 
I looked at the book and it was called Conversations with God. It was written by an American man named Neil Donald Walsh. And as I read the back of the book, it told me that in the early 1990s, Neil Donald Walsh had reached a low point in his life. He had lots of questions, but no answers. So one night he decided that he was going to write a letter to God and ask God why his life was such a mess. He wasn't expecting any kind of answer. This was just a way that he was going to vent his frustration, write a letter, God, why is my life such a mess and so forth. And his plan was to just tear up that letter and throw it in the bin. But he said that when he finished writing that letter, he heard a voice that spoke to him and said, do you want answers to these questions? Or are you just venting frustration? And he looked over his shoulder because he thought someone was in the room with him. The voice was that real. But he said that it was as if the pen in his hand suddenly stuck itself to the paper and just began to move round and round on its own. And he was just watching as the pen went round and round on its own. And what came out were answers to the questions that he had been asking. And what began that day in the life of Neil Donald Walsh was an on-paper dialogue, a conversation between him and something invisible that seemed to take control of him and manipulate his hand to write the answers. And whatever this thing was, it had identified itself to the man as God. Hence the title of the book, Conversations with God. I forgot every other book that was in the bookshop. I bought that book immediately and took it home and started reading. It was the early evening when I did this. And I stayed up until about two o'clock in the morning reading that book. I had never read anything like that book. It was unlike anything I'd ever read in the whole year and a half that I'd been studying religion. Inside the book, that invisible entity that spoke to Walsh told him that there is no such thing as good and evil, right and wrong. People can live and do whatever they want to do. They can live however they want to live. In the book, that invisible spirit told the man there is no such thing as heaven and no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as judgment day because there's no such thing as sin. You can live however you want to live because the truth of the matter, this spirit told the man, the truth of the matter is human beings themselves are just like gods. And when you die, if you want, you can just be reincarnated and come back to earth and have another brand new life all over again. I thought that book was fascinating. I thought there's something to this book. Maybe this book is exactly what I'm looking for. But I thought to myself, how can I know for sure that this book is what I'm looking for? And then I had a brainwave. Brilliant idea. I looked across my bedroom. By this time, it's about two o'clock in the morning. I've been up all this time reading that book. It's 2 a.m. now. 
and I look across my room and there on the table, which I bought the same day earlier in the day, and at this point I cannot remember why I bought it, but there on the other side of the room was a notepad. And I thought, I'm going to write my own letter to God and see if he speaks to me like he spoke to the man in the book. So I got the notepad and a biro pen and I wrote, Dear God, please will you speak to me like you spoke to the man in the book. You know how much I've been searching for you. And then I signed my name just so God knew who was talking to him. And I sat there and I waited. Nothing happened. And I wrote a little bit more on the note. Nothing happened. And it's funny, at that point, I actually looked around at the window as if I expected a ray of light to come in, just like in the movies. I actually did this, Reverend Taylor. I looked at the window and I caught myself thinking, no, it's not going to be like the movies where a ray of light comes in. That's not what's going to happen. But three or four times I wrote something else on my note. Please, God, will you speak to me? You know how much I, I've been looking for you. I've got this emptiness on the inside of me. If you even care about me a little bit, please speak to me. Nothing happened. Have you ever had that feeling that it's working for everyone else and it's not working for you? Anybody in this room can testify to that? Everyone else has the brakes, but you can't catch one. You look at everyone else around you and you think, well, I don't think they've got a single problem in the world. And yet nothing seems to go right for me. I, I tried to do exactly the same thing that this one did, and it worked for him, but it didn't work for me. That's what I felt at that point. It was after two o'clock in the morning, I was tired. I was, you have to understand, church, this wasn't a game for me. I was empty. And this emptiness had followed me around for years. This had been pain on the inside of me that I couldn't take anymore. I wanted to be fulfilled. I, you have to understand that this was serious. And I was reaching out and saying, God, if you're there, please. I can't live like this anymore. But there was nothing. And this man had a whole book where God was talking to him. And he wouldn't say a word to me. And I got frustrated and I got angry. And I grabbed that biro pen and I wrote an angry letter to God. You say that you love us, but you won't even talk to me. Look at this world that you've made, full of all this anger, all this war, all this violence, all these children being killed. Your love is a lie. You say that you love us, but it's not true. The last thing I wrote, you are an uncaring God. You are an uncaring God. And I threw down the pen and I was fuming and I thought, I've wasted my money. I'm right back at square one. I haven't made any progress at all. Wasted my time buying this book. It's now half past two in the morning. I just need to go to sleep. That is when it happened. All of a sudden, I found myself staring at the notepaper in front of me. The whiteness of that notepaper seemed to shine brightly. I couldn't take my eyes from it. 
in a second, all of that anger vanished, and I was completely calm, staring at that paper. There was a buzzing sound in my ears, inside, a crackling, tingling feeling on the inside. Anybody here ever held a magnet to a piece of metal? They're not touching, but almost touching, and you feel the magnetic attraction. Anybody ever done that here? That night, in that moment, I had that feeling coming out of my chest, coming out of my chest towards the paper in front of me, pulling me towards the paper. It was like somebody turned a dimmer switch, but not to make the lights go down, but to make the whole world go down, to make the whole world vanish away. It felt like I was drifting, like I was floating, staring at that paper. I couldn't take my eyes from it. I could hear my breath in my ears, like blasts of wind in a cave, just staring at that paper, floating back, drifting far away. And then I watched as my hand reached out and picked up the pen. And I watched as the pen touched down on the paper. And as soon as it touched down, it began to move round and round and round. The sound of that biro tip scratching on the paper. Round and round. And spiraling, swirling shapes came out of the pen. And when the pen reached the end of the line, instead of coming off the page and going to the next line, with the tip of the pen still on the page, it just simply dragged down and back and underneath and continued going round and round until at the end of the second line, the pen stopped and fell out of my hands. And it was like someone snapped me out of a hypnotic trance. And there in front of me were the words, it is of no consequence what you call me. It is of no consequence what you call me. I was absolutely terrified because in that moment I realized I didn't believe in this stuff. And it sounds funny, doesn't it? Because I thought, you think, well, the whole point is you were trying to speak to God and have God speak to you. But in the moment when that happened, I realized I don't believe in this stuff. I live in the really real world. I don't believe in spirits and specters and ghosts and angels. I don't believe in this stuff. This is Hollywood. This stuff happens in movies, but this is the real world. This, this is Steven Spielberg stuff. This is science fiction stuff, but I live in the really real world. This is horror movie stuff, but I live in the really real world. And yet here it is. It happened. It happened. It is of no consequence what you call me. And the last words I've written in my angry letter to God, you are an uncaring God. Very nervously, I picked up the pen and I wrote, do you mean you are not angry when I say you are uncaring? That doesn't bother you. And immediately it was like I was sucked right back into this trance-like experience. I'd never been in a trance. Never, I couldn't have even described what a trance was before that moment. But in that moment, I went right back into that trance and I watched like a spectator. You have to understand, young man, stand up. Stand here. 
Now imagine he's got a pen in his hand. Which hand do you write with? This one? Okay, you're a writer. I'm a lefty. So imagine he's writing. Now, imagine you're standing behind him, looking over his shoulder as he writes. You have no idea what he's going to write until it's there. You have no idea what's going to be there until it's there. That's what that feeling was like. Watching that pen go, you can sit down now. Let's give him a round of applause. Here, this is a, this is a copy of my book, you can have that. So I was watching the pen move round and round and round. And the words that came out after I had asked, you don't mind if I call you uncaring? Yes, that is correct. I do care immensely, for you are my child and I love you. And when I saw those words, I burst out crying. I was crying my eyes out. Because I thought, I found God. I've made a connection with God. I've really touched him. He's talking to me. This is real. I found him. My whole life changed in that moment. I wiped the tears from my eyes. And I got the pen. And the first thing I wrote down after that was, how come I've never heard from you before? And immediately back into the trance and the words came out, you've never listened to me before. And I could hardly believe it. I was having a conversation with God. And then for some reason, my mind went back to that dream that I had when I was 15, even though now I was 21. My mind suddenly plucked up that dream and I wrote down very nervously, you're not going to kill me with lightning, are you? Like in that dream. And again, back into the trance. And the words came out, no, I'm not going to kill you. I love you. And I wrote down, you're never going to send me to hell. No, the answer came back. There is no hell. You can live however you want to live. I spent the next two hours or so that night writing messages to an invisible, unseen spirit. And for everything I wrote, I fell into a trance and watched as the answer materialized before my eyes. I went to work the next day and I was so smug. When Debbie and her, her sisters came around, I was so smug. I thought, look at these guys, these silly, silly Christian people with their Bible and its commandments and all of its rules. And God has told me, you can live however you want to live. And I thought to myself, look at them silly Christian people getting on their knees and praying to the clouds and here's me having a real relationship and conversation with God I was so proud so smug as I looked at them that day when I went home immediately that night I read almost the entire book conversations with God again starting right from the beginning I read almost the entire book all over again And later that night, I pulled out the notepad and I started writing and I wrote, God, are you there? And immediately in the, into the trance again. And the words came out, yes, I am here. And that night, I was asking questions about what happens when you die. And the answers I got were exactly the same as I had seen in the book Conversations with God. Reincarnation. If you want, you can come back and live on earth again in a brand new life. 
and I had a question about my relatives, a question about my grandmother and an uncle who I was very close to. Both of them passed away when I was very young. And I wrote, so what about my grandma and my uncle? Are they still alive? Are they living somewhere else on the earth? Are they with you? Where are they? Nothing. No trance. Where are, where are they? I was desperate for an answer. This was serious now. This is relatives that I love. My grandma, a beautiful woman who I loved. My uncle, beautiful man, who, I, who was the closest thing that I had to a father in the absence of my own father. And I watched him when I was nine years old. I watched him die of a heart attack right in front of my eyes. So I needed an answer here. Where are they? Are they with you? Are they alive? All of a sudden, with the pen in my hand, I watched as the pen glued itself to the wall next to me. and began to move round and round on the wall. And I turned my head and I saw the words appearing on the wall. Yes, they are alive. I bust out crying again. They've been reincarnated, I thought. Somewhere in the world right now, my grandma, my uncle, are alive here in the world. Again, I spent hours and hours that night filling up pages of the notebook with these conversations. The next day, again, very smugly, looking at Debbie and her family at work, her sisters. And when I finished work that day, I went straight to the shop and I bought Conversations with God, book two, and Conversations with God, book three. And I took them home. I planned on reading them, but something happened that meant I never, ever got to open those books. That third night, Sunday night this was now, that third night, writing these messages, by this point, I was so in tune with whatever it was I was channeling through me, I could hear its voice as it spoke to me. You say, what did the voice sound like? It was a soft, gentle voice coming right into my ears. I didn't feel any fear. When I heard the voice, I was completely calm because I was completely convinced that I was speaking to God. And it reached a point where I didn't even, even, I didn't even always need the pen. I could put down the pen, put away the paper and just ask a question and a voice would speak back to me. Everywhere I went, on the fourth day, the Monday, that voice was following me around. I'm God. I love you. You'll never leave me. I'll never leave you. I'm always with you. Trust in me. Follow me. Right through that Monday. By Monday, I thought to myself, I've got to tell somebody about this. Because I hadn't told anybody. And I thought, the only person I can tell is Debbie. So I went to work that Monday afternoon. All the way, hearing the voice speak to me in my ears. And I said to myself, I'm going to tell Debbie about this. And so I, I got Debbie at work and I said, Debbie, can I talk to you for a minute? And I pulled her over to one side and I said, now listen very carefully. I've got to tell you something. I said, I am talking to God. And her face, the blaspheming, alcohol drinking, foul-mouthed young man is saying that he's speaking to God. And she said, uh, okay, what's he saying? And so I started to tell her what was happening. 
I told her about the automatic writing experience in my bedroom. And she looked at me and I watched her face change. And you know, some people, their face changes in such a way. They can't hide it. Debbie's not one of those people who's very good at hiding and masking things. And I watched her face change as, as if I had opened up her mouth and put lemons inside her mouth. I watched her face change. And, and I could see she doesn't believe me. And I was begging her, no, Debbie, this is really happening. I've been doing this Friday night, Saturday night, last night. This is really happening. And then I started telling her about I'd written on the wall, asking the question about my dead relatives. And the words came, yes, they are alive. And when I started to tell her, suddenly tears trickled down my cheeks. Now, I'm 21 years old at that point, crying in front of a woman. I was so embarrassed, I ran. I didn't say another word, I just ran upstairs to the staff room where Debbie followed me into the staff room and sat down and she said now listen she said because you cried I believe that you're telling me the truth you're not playing a prank you're not winding me up she said I believe this is really happening to you the fact that you cried I believe it is but she said I'm going to tell you very plainly I don't believe you're speaking to God I said, well, come on, if it's not God, who am I speaking to? And I will never forget, I will never forget as long as I live. If I am on this earth until 101, I will never forget when I asked her, if I'm not speaking to God, who is it? The look on her face as her eyes grew wide and she said very plainly, the devil. And as soon as she said, the devil, I heard a voice speaking into my ears, which said, there is no such thing as the devil. And I slammed my hand on the table and I laughed in her face. And I said, there's no such thing as the devil. And she said, Pete, you are speaking to the devil. I said, he told me he's God. She said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> she said the devil is a liar she said this is not the way that god speaks to people and she said the kinds of things he's telling you are not the things that god would say she said i have been a christian my whole life since I was a very small girl, she said, I know God and he would not say the things that he's telling, this thing is telling you. She said to me, there is one way that you can find out who you're speaking to. She said, the next time you write messages to this thing, ask it in the name of Jesus Christ to tell you who it is. She said, the Bible says that the name of Jesus is the name above every other name. She said, it is the name above every other name. She said, when you ask it in the name of Jesus to tell you who it really is, 
She said, it will have to tell you the truth. She said, if it's God, it will tell you. If it's an angel, it will tell you. And then her eyes narrowed and she said, if it's something else, it will tell you. As soon as she suggested it, I heard a voice in my ears which said, you don't need to do that. You know who I am. Trust in me. The voice said, you have made Debbie nervous and question her Christianity. Don't listen to her. I said, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do what you're telling me. She said, do it. I challenge you. Ask it in the name of Jesus to tell you who it is. I said, okay. I thought to myself, see, here's, here's the place where Debbie's words appeal to my pride. Because I thought to myself, well, I am speaking to God. I know that I am. So when I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, like Debbie says, I know for sure the answer when I ask it, who are you? The answer is going to be, I'm God. And I can show it to Debbie and say, look, I'm right. You're wrong. So I said to her, I'll do it. I'll write that letter. I said, I'll do it on one condition. I said, you've got to get a pen and paper and write your own letter. I'll never forget what she said. She said, I don't need to write letters. I can just speak to my father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that point, it was five o'clock in the afternoon. Debbie had an hour's break between five and six. She was going off on a break, coming back at six. So she left. Now, this is the incredible thing, Reverend Taylor. This is the incredible thing. We had been in that staff room at work from about half past two, quarter to three, until five o'clock. No one else came looking for us. Nobody else came to the staff room on a break. Nobody else came up to the toilet because by going to the toilets, you would have to go past the staff room. No supervisor came looking for two absent workers wondering why they were not working. We had that whole afternoon to talk this through without any interruption. I believe God was at work. Debbie left at five o'clock. I didn't know what she was doing, but what she did was she left work and she immediately went to Borders Bookshop, found a copy of Conversations with God, looked at maybe half of one page, and she pulled out her mobile phone and she telephoned her mom and she said, Mom, you need to get the sister, my sisters, you need to all start praying for Pete right now because he is talking to the devil. He has opened the door and he has let the devil into his life. Mm. So they began praying for me just after five o'clock, though I had no knowledge of that fact. Meanwhile, back at work, I grabbed a pen and would you believe it, a notebook. They had a notebook. They had a notebook in the staff room at that workplace because the staff so frequently during their breaks would just doodle on the table that the management was so vexed with the fact that everyone was just doodling on the table. They actually supplied a notepad in the staff room and said, please can all staff doodle in this notepad when they are on their breaks. So there was a notepad and a pen right there in the staff room. So I grabbed it and I went into the men's room and I shut myself in the cubicle and I wrote down these words. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, tell me who you are. And there was a pause for a moment when nothing happened. And then suddenly sucked into that trance-like state. And I watched as the pen moved round and round and the words came out, you should have trusted me. And I heard a voice which spoke into my ears and said, why didn't you trust me? This is the fourth day we've been speaking. You should have trusted me. Debbie came back to work at six o'clock. I thought to myself, she's not going to believe this is real if I show her that note. So I actually threw that note in the bin. I thought I'll do it again when Debbie's present. I'll do it in front of her face. And that way she'll know that this is true. Debbie came back at six o'clock. And I said, hi, Debbie. And she just walked past me, not saying a word. She didn't say anything, as if she completely blanked me, as if I wasn't even there. She was praying for me. She didn't say anything to me, that whole shift in the evening. She didn't say anything because she was praying for me. And she knew that if she started talking to me, it would not be me that she was talking to. So she didn't say anything to me. She was praying. Her family at home were praying. At the end of the shift that evening, everybody else finished and left, and it was just Debbie and myself left in the building. I was finishing my last job downstairs. Debbie was upstairs in the staff room, changing and getting ready to go home. She was going to telephone her mum, who was going to come in the car and pick us up and take us on home. And that, over the course of that evening, this anger had been stirred up. Ever since I'd written that note, in the name of Jesus Christ, tell me who you are, it was like an anger had just been stirred up inside of me. I was losing my temper and didn't really know why. It was like this cloud of viciousness was starting to swirl on the inside of me. And I was hearing this voice saying, who does that Debbie think she is? This Christian, holier than thou, thinks she's better than everyone else. How dare she? Who does she think she is? And I was feeling more and more anger towards my best friend. At that point, I dropped what I was doing and I ran up the stairs and I confronted Debbie and I said, who do you think you are? Talking to me about all this Jesus stuff. How dare you? You think you're better than me? You're not better than me. And I was screaming in her face. And then the strange thing was, the voice coming out of me was talking about me in the third person. Your friend Pete is never going to become a Christian. How are you ever going to be happy in your heaven knowing that your friend Pete is burning in hell? Because he's never going to be a Christian. He's never going to believe in Jesus. Screaming in her face. And then I turned around and just walked back downstairs. Finished what I was doing. And after I cooled down, I thought to myself, now this is not the way I can convince Debbie to leave Christianity and come and do what I'm doing. So I, I finished what I was doing, finished my work, and I went upstairs, and I kind of apologized in the way that young men kind of do. It was a kind of sorry. I said, look, Debbie, you need to understand, this, this has just completely taken over my life. And she looked at me, and she said, I know it has. At that point, her mum arrived in the car, and we all we both climbed in. Uh, I was in the front, obviously. I've got these long legs. You may have noticed. So I sat in the front seat. I always sat in the front seat next to Debbie's mum. 
and Debbie sat in the back and a couple of the, her sisters were in the back. No one said anything while we were driving that night. I had no idea that these guys knew what was going on. I had no idea what Debbie had done during her break. But no one said anything in the car. No one said anything. And we're just driving and the only sound in the car was Christian praise and worship music coming out of the CD player. And as Debbie's mum was driving, not saying a word, every now and then she would just reach over and just turn the volume up a little bit. Just reach over and turn the volume up a little bit. And I was pressing myself up against the door. I don't want to be in this car, I was thinking. I don't want to be in this car listening to this kind of music. And they dropped me off at my house. You remember that I said my house was five minutes from theirs, right? You, you do remember that part of the story. So they dropped me off and I get out of the car and Debbie's mum, instead of saying goodbye or goodnight like she did most nights, she said, God bless you, Pete. And I didn't say anything. I just huffed and slammed the door. And I walked into my house and I sat down. My, I, now I was 21 at this point, still living at home with my mum. My mum was an atheist, complete unbeliever. So she didn't know anything that was going on. I sat down, picked up a newspaper, tried to read it. But then I heard this voice that said, Pete, come upstairs. We need to speak right now. So I put down the newspaper and I went up to my room. I got the, the biro pen and the notepad and I sat down on my bed, turned to a clean page and immediately the pen stuck itself to the paper and began to move round and round, faster and faster, faster than it's possible to write. And what was coming out of the pen was condemnation. What was coming out of the pen was all the mistakes I'd ever made in my life. why I didn't amount to anything. You should have trusted me, the word said. Why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you listen to me? Why did you listen to that Christian girl? You should have listened to me. All the mistakes of my life were coming out onto the paper. All the reasons why I didn't amount to anything. All the reasons why my life was going nowhere. All the reasons why uh, I was never going to be anything and do anything of any value in my life because I was worthless, because I didn't pay attention, because I didn't fulfill my responsibility, because I didn't learn lessons. That's the reason why I was a nobody. All of this was coming out of the pen. I tried to stop writing, but I couldn't. I was screaming with my mind to my hand to stop writing, and it would not stop. It would not stop moving. It felt like the muscles in my wrist were going to burst open. It was painful, but still the pen drove on. Every time I reached the bottom of the page, my other hand would grab the page, snatch it and turn it over, and I would continue writing. Pages and pages of condemnation. Pages and pages of a personal attack against me. And for that first time, since this whole experience began, I started to feel afraid. I started to feel afraid of this visitor who had come to me. I started to feel afraid of this person that I had allowed inside my body. I started to feel afraid in that moment. And then my hand snatched the page and turned it over. And on a brand new page, in giant capital letters, my hand scratched the words, Yes, you fool, I am and in that moment I knew in that moment before the words appeared I knew my whole life my whole world just broke in that moment because I knew what was coming and fear overwhelmed me like floodwaters engulfing
and then it was gone as quick as a camera flash. It was there, and then it was a gone, a picture. It was a crown of thorns. It was a crown of thorns. I knew Jesus is exactly who my friend Debbie said he is. Everything my Christian friend told me, I knew it in that moment. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is real. He really lived on this earth. I knew it in that moment. Jesus really is the Son of God. I knew it in that moment. Jesus really died on a cross. He really was on that cross. I didn't understand the theology. I didn't understand the doctrine. I didn't know why. But in that moment, I knew he was on that cross. He did die, just like the Christian said. He did rise from the dead, just like the Christian said. And I knew in that moment, there is a God. There is one true God, and it is Jesus Christ. I knew it in that moment, but I thought, I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. All the strength in my body in a second left me and I collapsed on the bed, paralyzed, unable to move. I thought I'm going to die. I'm going to die and go to hell. The only person in the world who could help me was my friend Debbie. And I looked beside me and there was the mobile phone. As soon as I looked at that phone, I heard this voice that screamed at me, if you touch that phone, I will kill you. I will make your heart explode and you will die on the floor right now. I thought I am gonna perish. How can I survive this night? Hell is real, it's real, and I'm gonna go there. I thought any minute now, any second, now I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. My hand was still writing. I tricked you because you're stupid, because you're dumb, because you used the name of Jesus. And then the hand started to write the word Christ, but couldn't write the full word. C H and then it mixed up the R and the I, and then an S. But before the T, it was as if something was stopping the hand from writing anymore. So then it just began to stab the name Jesus Christ, stabbing and scratching out the name Jesus Christ. I thought I'm going to die any moment now. But I reached over and I grabbed my mobile phone and I just started to push buttons. I started to push buttons, trying to scream, but no sound coming out of my throat. I pushed buttons and sent a message, help Deb, the devil's in me. All the while hearing this voice, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. 
I'm gonna kill you. I wondered where was Debbie, taking so long to get back to me. Pushing buttons on the phone. I dialed Debbie's number. Now she saw my message, help Deb. The devil's in me. She screamed for her family. Get together and pray now. They all dropped to their knees in their house and began praying for me. I dialed Debbie's number. And I could hear the phone ringing and tried to lift it up to my ears. But it wouldn't go all the way up. It stopped by my mouth, in front of my mouth, like a radio, like this microphone. The phone was in front of my mouth like this. And the line opened and I heard Debbie's voice. Hello, Pete? And I tried to scream, Debbie, please help me. The devil's got me. I tried screaming, but nothing came out of my throat. It was like something squeezed my throat and nothing came out of my mouth. Debbie said, Pete, are you there? Are you there? Hello? And all of a sudden, this voice came out of my mouth that was not my voice and said, hello. And Debbie said, Pete, are you there? Is that you? Hello. She said, Pete, is that you? Pete. The voice said, Pete can't talk to you right now. She screamed down the phone, Satan, let him go in Jesus' name. As soon as she said that, my throat opened up and my voice came back and I screamed down the phone, Deb, please help me. He's got me. Debbie said three words, pray to Jesus. She said, pray to Jesus. You have got to call on him now. He is going to save you, she said, but call on Jesus now. She said, we're coming. I started to pray, Jesus, please help me. Please save me. The devil's got me. I don't want to die. Please save me. When I cried out to Jesus, friends, all the strength in my body came back in a second. And I felt something saying to me, run right now. And in that moment, I had the power to throw down that pen and I leapt up off my bed and I ran out of the room. Out of the room, downstairs, wheeling into the living room where my mother was sat. Did I mention she was an atheist? <laughs> so I came into the room, stab and scratch marks, spiral marks all over my face. And she looked up and she said, what's wrong? She said, she said and testified, she has never seen anybody as fearful and scared as I was that night. She said, what's wrong? And I said, I've got to go to Debbie's. I've got to go to Debbie's. I must go to Debbie's. Help me, I need to go to Debbie's. She said, why do you need to go to Debbie's? I said, I just need to go, I need to go. I grabbed my mother and I pulled her into the bathroom, the downstairs bathroom. And I, I pulled her in there and I started trying to tell her, Mom, look, this is what's going on. This is what's happened. This is what's happened. Trying to tell her what was going on. And at the same time I was trying to tell her what was happening, I heard a voice which said, when Debbie comes to the house, I want you to kill her. I want you to pick up a knife and kill her. Kill her and her family. Mm -hmm. At the same time, 
I was talking to my mum and hearing that voice with my right hand, that hand was clawing at my face and scratching at my face and lashing out and punching the wall next to me and I couldn't stop myself from doing it. This hand with this finger was just tracing the letters on my chest. I hate you. I said to my mum, now I had never read the Bible, but I said to my mum, just coming right out of my mouth, I said, we need to burn all the books and the notebook. We need to burn everything. I had never read the Bible, but it's interesting that in the Bible we see this is exactly what happened in a place called Ephesus when a man named Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. People in that place who gave up the occult, who gave up witchcraft, who gave up uh, evil spirits, took their books and the Bible says they burned all of them straight out of the Bible. But I didn't know this. I said to my mom, we need to burn everything. We need to burn it right now. She said, okay, let's go. So I followed her back up to the bedroom where we gathered up all the books and took them outside to burn them. It was at that moment I retrieved my mobile phone, which I'd left on my bed when I ran out of the room. I was thinking to myself, where is Debbie? Where is she? Why is she taking so long to get here? When I checked my phone as we went out into the back garden, I had, I think it was about three text messages, about nine or 10 missed calls, two voicemail messages, all from Debbie. I listened to the voicemail message and the voicemail message was, Pete, my mum and I came, we were outside the house in the car, um, we prayed for you, now we've gone back home. If you can make it, please come to the house. They were outside in the car praying for me. Mm. At the same moment, the devil was saying to me, pick up a knife and kill them if they come into the house. Whoa. They were sat in the car hearing from the Holy Spirit, stay in the car and pray. Don't go into the house. Stay in the car and pray there. And when they had peace, the Holy Spirit said, go home and he'll be there. So my mum set a small bonfire and started to burn everything. Conversations with God, all the different religious books I'd bought over a year and a half, all of them went into the fire. The notepad, which I had used to write all of my own conversations with this evil spirit, went into the fire. Even the biro pens, which I had used, went into the fire that night. And when the fire was done, I said to my mom, I need to go to Debbie's house. She said, can you make it? I said, I have to, I have to, I have to go there tonight. And I remember I hugged my mum that night, 21 years old. I could never remember ever hugging her as a grown man and never ever saying that I loved her. But that night I said, mum, I love you. I said, I'm gonna go to Debbie's house. And I said, if I survive, mum, I'm going to be a Christian. I need to be a Christian. She said, okay, you do what you need to do. When I got to the front gate, now here's the thing, the devil is a liar. When I got to my front gate, just about to step out of the gate, I heard this evil spirit say, remember the dream? And all of a sudden, I remembered the dream that I had when I was 15, struck by lightning outside of my house. And as I stood at the gate, I thought, oh, the dream. And the voice said, this is the night it's going to happen. That dream was prophecy. The moment you step out of the gate, you're going to be struck by lightning and die. And I froze at the gate and I thought, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I can't get out. I looked up at the sky. 
there were just thin, wispy clouds in the sky. No storm clouds, but reason had been snatched and overwhelmed by the devil. And so I thought, if I step out now, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But then I heard an angel, the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but I heard a voice that said, Pete, you need to go now. I said, I want to, but I'm scared. The voice said, the devil is a liar. All he does is tell lies. The voice said, remember, he told you he would kill you if you touched your phone. He didn't. The voice said, remember, he told you when your mom was setting the bonfire, he was going to kill your mother with the flames. He didn't. That voice said to me, the devil is a liar. Go now. And I stepped out of my gate and I moved for Debbie's house. The whole way to Debbie's house, remember five minutes walk. If they lived two, three miles away like they did, I never would have made it. But God is Jehovah Jireh. He is Yahweh Yireh. He is the God who has already seen ahead and made provision. He knew this night was coming and he loved me so much. He moved Debbie and her family from where they were. When they were looking for a new house, he closed the door and all the potential houses they looked at until there was one house, five minutes walk from my front door to their front door. And I walked to their house, and all the way I heard a voice saying, when you get into Debbie's house, go into, a, into the kitchen, pick up a knife, and kill them. I want you to kill them all. I said, I'm not gonna kill them, they're my friends, they're my friends, the voice that I made you draw on your own face. What mm. makes you think I can't make you pick up a knife and kill them? I thought, I'm gonna kill my friends. These are my friends, these are the only people who can help me, and maybe I'm about to go and kill them. I can't go anywhere else but my friend's house, and maybe I'm about to murder them. I was terrified, but I had no choice. I had nowhere else I could go. And when I reached their house and rang the doorbell, Debbie opened up the front door and I came in and as if she knew the situation she just stood in such a way that she blocked access to the kitchen and she reached out a hand and she put her hand on my shoulder and when she did so much power came out of her hand every murderous thought in my mind vanished all power to try and go into that kitchen was taken away and we walked into the living room and they sat me down on an armchair. Now, friends, look, I, I had never up to this point ever been in church except for weddings, funerals, and christenings. I had no idea what real Christianity was all about. So I knew that those guys were praying for me, but I didn't know what was going to what was going to be there in the living room when I got in. I thought maybe there were going to be, you know, some candles, like a, a Virgin Mary statue. Or so, I didn't know, I didn't know. I thought, you know, it's going to be serious when I step in this living room because these guys have been praying for me. I stepped in and they were just sat there watching TV. They were just sat there watching Debbie and her, Debbie's mom and Debbie's sisters just sat there watching TV like any other night I'd ever been there. Just watching some Christian preaching show on TV. No one said anything. No one said a word. No one said, oh, Pete, are you okay? How did this happen? How are you feeling? No one said anything. No one said a word. They just sat me down in an armchair, covered me with a blanket, and got a drink for me. And no one said anything. They just sat down watching the TV. I thought, don't they care? Don't they know? No one said 
anything. Why not? Because they already knew they, they already had won. Knew. Come on. They already knew they had won. The Bible says, greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They knew they had won. They had prayed. They had prayed. They had engaged in spiritual warfare and they had won. So they just took their rest and said no more about it. And we just sat there that night watching preaching on TV. And the more we watched, the less and less that demonic voice sounded in my ears until after about an hour and a half, almost two hours, I suddenly realized I can't hear the voices of demons anymore. I can't hear their voices and their threats anymore. It was as if peace, have you ever seen the way you let go of a feather and it just floats down to the ground? It was as if peace had taken on a manifest substance and just floated down upon us all. And I sat there completely peaceful, no longer afraid. And after about two, two and a half hours of watching this Christian programs on TV, Debbie's sisters said goodnight. That was the only thing they said, goodnight. Turn off the TV and they went up to bed. In fact, they were preparing the, the spare bed in the spare room for me because they, they knew I was going to sleep at their house that night. And so it was just Debbie to my left, myself, and in the armchair next to me, Debbie's mum. And Debbie's mum turned and she looked at me and said, So, Pete, do you think you're ready to accept Jesus as your saviour? What a question! I thought to myself, I nearly fell out of my chair. I thought, are you serious? Are you ready? There has never been a man on earth more ready than me right now. She's asking me, are you ready? Are you ready? I thought as if I'm going to say, well, let me sleep on it. Give me a day or two to think about it and I'll come back to you with an answer. No, I said, I am ready right now. I said, yes, now is the time. She said, okay, I need you to understand this. She said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And seeing sin separate you from God. She said, Jesus came down into this world 2,000 years ago. And he died on a cross. This is the first time I'd ever heard the message of Calvary. She said, he was nailed to a cross and on that cross she said God put on him all of your sin everything that separated you from God everything that made you empty on the inside was put upon Jesus on the tree and he suffered and died in your place she said he was dead and buried but on the third day he rose from the dead and she said he's alive tonight oh I knew he was alive I knew he was alive because he had saved my life when the devil said I'm going to kill you yet still there I was living Jesus Christ was alive and I knew it she said we're going to pray a very simple prayer and you're going to ask Christ to come into your heart and you're going to give him your whole life 
I said, I'm ready to do it. So we bowed our heads and I prayed and I said, oh Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You're the son of God. You died on the cross for me. For me, you died on that cross. And I ask you now, come into my life. I give my whole life to you, Jesus. This point on, I am yours now and forever. You are my Lord and Savior from this night. Amen. And when I said amen, I tell you, I felt different. You said, did you feel different? I felt different. It was tangible. It was noticeable. It was real in that moment. It was as if 21 years I'd been living, the world was upside down. Now it was right side up. It was as if I had only ever seen things in black and white. Now they were in glorious technicolor. Oh, I felt different in that moment. No sooner had I said amen, I knew I was a different man. The old man was gone. I had been born again. I had been born again. I had been born again. And Debbie's mom said, I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? I said, okay, let's pray. So we bowed our heads again and she laid a hand on my forearm and started to pray for me. And as she prayed and she said, I want to thank you, God, that this man now has a new life in Jesus Christ, that all of that demonic power is broken off his life. In Jesus' name, no more demons, no more devils, no more Satan taking hold of him. But it's that power of the devil is broken over him now, she prayed. She said, oh God, I want you to touch his life even more. I want you to fill him with your spirit. Let him know the love of God. Let him know the reality of your presence. And as she prayed, I noticed that it was getting hot underneath her hand. I don't mean warm. I mean it was getting hot under her hand. So much so that I even opened my eyes. I didn't know if that was allowed when you prayed. But I opened my eyes like this and just checked out, what is she doing? But that heat that I felt went over my whole upper body. The heat went right through my chest in waves of this prickly, tingling heat that felt so good. And I began to shiver even though I was warm, shivering, filled with this heat, this liquid love that was washing over me. I tipped back my head and I started to cry. Remember I said some tears trickled down my cheeks in front of Debbie and I ran away embarrassed. Now the tears were coming out in jets and I didn't care. I didn't care, the jets were coming out. Waves and waves of love. I felt like God loved me. I knew God now. This was not like those days I spent writing those notes and I thought I was talking to God. God was inside me and his love was overwhelming me and my head rocked back and I heard this voice, not a voice from outside in, but a voice from inside coming up and the voice said, you are my son. I love you. You are free. From that night, I belonged to Jesus Christ. Over the next week, yes, the devil came back. I was so surprised. I thought when you got saved, you never had to deal with the devil ever again. I thought somehow he had been removed out of the picture. 
So I was quite surprised in the first week of my Christianity when the voice came back and said, I still got you, you're still mine, you're still mine. But I called out to Jesus. I said, no, I've been saved. Jesus has saved me. I know he saved me. I know he saved me. For two nights in a row, that voice came back. The first night, I cried out to Debbie on the phone. It was three o'clock in the morning, and she still picked up her phone. And I cried out to her, and I said, oh, Debbie, oh, Debbie, he, he says he's still got me. She said, don't believe it. He's a liar. You belong to Jesus, she said. You have been born again. And she said, there is no power of the devil over you now. You don't belong to him anymore, she said. You belong to Jesus Christ. The, set, the next night, the voice came back. The voice came back, I've still got you. You're not a Christian, it didn't work, you're not saved. And I started to sink down in my bed. Oh, what if it's not true? What if it didn't work? What if I'm not a Christian? What if the devil still has me? And then again, the voice from the inside, which said, son, enough. And in that moment, in that moment, enough is enough. I was so mad at the devil. If I could have got him in my hands, I would have wrung his neck and torn him into pieces. In that moment, I became so aware of the fact that the devil is a liar. So many times he said, I'm going to kill you. Yet I was still breathing in and out. So many times he said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he didn't do one of them. I was so mad that night. I said, I belong to Jesus. I am a Christian. I belong to God, not the devil. I looked in my bedroom. We'd burnt the first one, but I found another notepad in my bedroom, and I found a biro pen, and I sat there and I said, devil, if I really am yours, I challenge you right now, make me write something. If I'm really yours, make me write one word. And if you do that, I know you're telling me the truth and I'm not a Christian. I dare you, devil, make me write something. And the pen didn't move. I sat there waiting. Come on, what are you waiting for? I said, have you forgotten how to do it? Come on, I'm here. Make me write something. Make me write something. And the pen never moved. I waited for about 10 minutes and the pen never moved. I called the liar's bluff and I put that pen down and I said, devil, in the name of Jesus Christ, go! And he was gone. And I had never again have had to deal with an evil spirit left over from my experience in the occult because I do belong to Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room tonight and you belong to Jesus Christ, there is no power of hell that can touch you. Oh, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. I'm so sorry I've kept you so long. I'm winding up right now. There's just one more thing to tell you. Everybody, when I tell this story, wants to know, and some of you are burning and itching to find out right now. Everybody has the same question. What happened to Debbie? What happened? 
Debbie. Well, about eight months after this happened, Debbie and her family left England and they moved to the USA because Debbie was going to Bible school in the USA. We stayed in touch uh, over, over the phone and by email, we stayed in touch. And uh, in 2006, after Debbie had finished Bible school and finished what else she was doing in the USA, she left her family in America and came back to Oxford. And on Saturday, the 19th of July, 2008, she put this ring on my finger. Notes and received a response 
I didn't know that I had opened the door, not to a friend, but to a wolf. Not to a God who loved me, but a devil who hated me. But there is good news. There is good news. There is one who is stronger than the devil. And when I say stronger, I don't mean a little bit stronger. I don't mean like if they had tug of war, it would be a close call and the other one might just win. There is one who is infinitely stronger than the devil, infinitely more powerful. There is one who has crushed the head of that old serpent, the devil, already. Who has spoiled all demonic principalities of all power and taken from them the very keys of death itself there is one who came into the world to destroy the works of the devil and his name is Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the Son of God that night in the midst of that terror when I saw that image of the crown of thorns I knew without needing to be convinced by a preacher or a book in that moment I knew Jesus Christ is Lord and I have never questioned it or looked anywhere else since that night Jesus is the Son of God who came into this earth and died on a cross to make a way for sinful men to come back to God I'm speaking to every person in this place tonight. I'm not going to do what preachers normally do and get people to close their eyes and bow their heads. I want you to look at me and hear what I'm speaking to you tonight. I'm speaking to every single person in this place. If there is anyone here, anyone, and you know that you are separated from God by sin, I'm going to give you an opportunity this night to do what I did that night and call upon Jesus Christ and Christ will rescue you as he rescued me you may not be involved in what I was involved in for you your struggle may be something else your battle may be against depression it may be against an addiction alcohol or drugs it may be that you are just simply separated from God and are wandering through life lost and confused and you have no peace. Friend, in this place tonight, peace is waiting to meet you. Because peace has a name and it's Jesus Christ. If there is anybody in here tonight and you would look at yourself, look at your life and say, yep, I'm separated from God. You may be ever so religious, you may be a member of a church, you may even be an attendee in this church, but you have never come to Christ and said, Jesus, I am putting my trust in you. If that's you tonight and you know that tonight in this place before you walk out of that door, you need to get right with God. You need to open your heart to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to put your hand in the air right now. Anybody in this place? There's one hand right here. Anyone else? Anybody else? Hands right there. Okay, I see that. I see that hand right there. Anybody else? Lift your hand up right now. If you need to give yourself 
to Jesus Christ tonight. Okay, I've seen the hands. You can put those hands down. You can put that hand down. Is there anyone else? I don't want to let you go that easy. There's one hand there. Another hand there. Another hand. I've seen those three hands. Thank you. God bless you. There's another hand over there. Is that a little boy? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Jesus, Yahshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, is Lord. I pray that y'all enjoyed that. I'm telling you, um, it's just the Holy Spirit is in a season of making His voice known. It's a time. This is the time, you guys. They're going to have some things popping up soon and very soon. You got to be ready. And the boom factor, the Save Zone broadcast with myself, Danielle, Dr. D. I'm going to do my best to demonstrate the love of God, to show and teach you spiritual things so you won't get caught up like, Minister Peter did and wind up talking to the wrong spirit and get possessed by the devil. And you thinking you're talking to God above and you're really talking to the God of this world. And as you heard earlier, I think it was uh, maybe two days ago, and I uh, was talking about lies, you know. I was awakened to these terms, lies, 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 lies. And that's what God was saying. Please tell the people that the society is operating out of a lie. Everything you hear, everything you see, it's a lie. Don't get caught up in a lie. They mix that truth up as the angel of light. Like he was saying, the devil come as an angel of light sometimes. He'll come as a, a sheep. Well, he comes as a wolf in sheep clothing. And before you know it, you're hooked. You're locked in there. You're trapped. And if you don't have nobody praying for you, like that young man had his friend Debbie praying for him and her family praying for him, he would have destroyed himself. Because the devil lied to him. So I don't want the devil to lie to you. And that's why the boom factor is here. Believers overcome with omnipotent manifestation. I am a believer in Christ. I believe in Yahshua. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that by his stripes I am healed. I believe that on the third day he rose with all power given unto him in the heavens in the earth and underneath the earth and i believe soon and very soon he's coming back to receive not only me but those that believe and receive in his resurrection love and his resurrection power that god used him to redeem us redeem me from the very hand of the enemy who is called the devil i believe it and receive it and that's what a believer is and because of that the devil will be on you like rabies and rice 
even after you have acknowledged Jesus as Lord, like the young man said, he came back. And that's what he do. The devil going to keep coming back. He's going to keep coming back. Because he's trying to see if your house is empty or is it full. Is it empty with idleness? With the things of this world? With the pride of life? The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh? Or is it filled with the power of God? The Holy Spirit. Come on. He's going to test you. So I pray that these episodes that I'm uplifting in the midst of me sharing my testimony, my daily life, how things, how people use and believe me, he has infiltrated the church, the people in the church, that made things comfortable. And 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 the, and, and Daddy God told me, he said, daughter, because I asked, I said, yeah, you know. People doing what they want to do because they don't feel God. And I heard the power of God say, no, it's not that they don't feel God. They don't fear there's a hell anymore. So that's why people is doing what they want because they don't feel that there is a place called hell. It's a place called Hades. It's a place that God did not design for us to be humans, mankind. He didn't design hell for us. But hey, if you live that lifestyle... If you live for the devil, that's where you'll be right with him. All right? So, y'all be blessed. Anybody out there that needs to know that Jesus Christ is love, you need to be saved. All you have to do is say, I believe in the cross. I believe that Jesus, God sent Jesus on earth to die for my sins. In Romans um, 10, 9 and 10, it said, Whosoever will confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he was rose from the dead, he died on the cross and rose from the dead, ye shall be saved. If you confess that with your mouth and believe it and receive it, this day your name have been written in the Lamb Book of Life. Glory to God. You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed when he, they whipped him, was shed for you and I. All right? Praise the Lord. Father God, touch everyone that has an ear to hear what you had to share today. Through Peter, Minister Peter and myself, Dr. D. Touch their heart, Lord God. Write their name in the Lamb Book of Life. If they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the one who come to redeem us, restore us, and renew us back to our original state in you, Father God, touch them, give them an experience from you and not the devil. Let the Holy Spirit come in and empower them with the love of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit. I denounce every work of the evil spirit that may be trying to work iniquity in their life. I bind you up, I bind the devil up off their life according to the authority that God has given me. And you no longer operate in their lives any longer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right, you guys. Well, I'm going to sign off. And uh, I will talk to you guys later. God bless. And thank you. And welcome to the family. Glory to God. Amen? Amen.